0: Lesson 1 for March 26 to April 1. The Son of David is the title of the lesson from the series, The Book of Matthew. Sabbath afternoon, March 26. Before we begin, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and as we begin this week to study a whole series from the Book of Matthew, we just want to thank You that Matthew wrote what he did under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that in this book we'll find more of what you're about, what Jesus was about when he came here to live on this earth, and what all that means for us. We thank you so much for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. Now that's simple, isn't it? Let's read that again. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Matthew began his book with a genealogy. Not with just any genealogy, but with that of Jesus Christ. And he began not only with a genealogy, but with one revealing some ancestors that most people would not necessarily like to claim as their own. Perhaps, as he himself was somewhat of an outcast, Matthew could relate to that ancestry. After all, he was a Jewish tax collector who had sold out to the enemy and who actually paid Rome for the opportunity to sit there and tax his own Jewish people. Surely he would not be a man beloved of his nation. Nevertheless, humans might look on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And no question, looking at Matthew's heart, the Lord chose him, a despised tax collector, to be among his disciples. And, when called, Matthew accepted, giving up the life he had before for a new life in Jesus. Thus Matthew followed his Lord, kept records and one day he would give something back to his people and to the world. It would not be a tax receipt, but instead a precious account of the life of Jesus. Sunday March 27 a book of genesis Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 reads this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David right from the start Matthew calls his work a book from the greek word biblos which can mean a sacred writing a book of the genealogy of the ancestry of Jesus in fact The Greek word translated genealogy, or generation, is from a word that can be translated Genesis. Hence, it could be said that Matthew started his Gospel with a book of Genesis. Just as the Old Testament itself began with a book about the creation of the world, hence the New Testament itself starts with a book about the Creator Himself and about the work of redemption that only the Creator could accomplish question. What do these texts tell us about Jesus? First of all, John chapter 1 verses 1 through to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high and micah chapter five and verse two but you bethlehem ephratah though you are little among the thousands of judah yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in israel whose going forth are from of old from everlasting and mark chapter twelve and verses thirty five to thirty seven then jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David, for David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. From the days of eternity, Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 19, the Lord Jesus Christ was one with the Father. He was the image of God, the image of His greatness and majesty, the outshining of His glory. By coming to dwell with us, Jesus was to reveal God both to men and to angels. He was the Word of God. God, thought, made audible. Finish quote. The divinity of Christ, however, was not first and foremost in Matthew's mind, as in contrast to John, as we've already read in John chapter 1, who immediately writes about the deity of Christ before going into the human side of Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and Truth. Instead, Matthew focuses very much on Christ's humanity, Christ as the son of David, the son of Abraham, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He then traces from Abraham the lineage of Jesus' human ancestors up to the birth of Jesus, all in a desire to show his readers that, indeed, Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah predicted in the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so to finish today, Of course, family and ancestry are important. At the same time, as far as the gospel is concerned, our parents or grandparents or any of our ancestry is irrelevant. What instead is important and why? And we'll finish with Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Monday, March 28th. A Royal Line Whatever the various views of the Jews regarding the coming of the Messiah, one thing was for certain. The Messiah would be from the house of David. Even many religious Jews today who await the Messiah believe that he must come from the house of David. That's why Matthew began his gospel as he did. He wanted to establish the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. Because the Messiah was to be the seed of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and from the lineage of David, Matthew right away seeks to show Jesus' lineage and how he was directly tied, not just to Abraham, to whom the Israelites were tied, but to King David. Many commentators believe that Matthew had a Jewish audience primarily in mind thus his strong emphasis establishing the messianic credentials of jesus of nazareth question read the following texts how do they help us to understand the point that matthew was seeking to make first of all we we'll look at 2 samuel chapter 7 and verses 16 and 17 And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. And Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even for ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. All this helps us to understand why the Gospel of Matthew begins the way it does. Verse 1 of Matthew, chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. First and foremost, Jesus Christ is described as the Son of David. And just as the New Testament begins with this depiction of Jesus... Toward the end of the New Testament, he says these words as well in Revelation 22.16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. All else that Jesus is, he remains the root and offspring of David. What a powerful testimony to the human nature of Jesus and to his essential humanity. Our creator has linked himself to us in ways that we can barely imagine. Tuesday, March 29, Jesus' Early Family Tree Question Beyond David, who else do we find in Jesus' Family Tree? Well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begat Hezron, And Hezron begat Ram. Women aren't usually typically listed in genealogies, so why would a woman named Tamar be listed here? Who was she to begin with? Tamar was a Canaanite woman who had been married sequentially to two sons of Judah. Both of these sons died in wickedness, while Tamar was childless. Her father-in-law Judah promised Tamar that he would give her his third son in marriage when the son got old enough. But this never happened. So, what did Tamar do? She disguised herself as a prostitute and got together with none other than Judah, who had no idea it was Tamar. Months later, when Tamar's pregnancy became evident, Judah took action to have the immoral Tamar put to death. That is until Tamar revealed to Judah that he was the father of her baby. However much this might sound like a tawdry soap opera, it's still part of the human ancestry of Jesus. Question. Read verses 4 and 5 of Matthew chapter 1. Who else is listed there that is somewhat surprising? Verse 4. Ram begat Aminadab, And Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Sammon, and Sammon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute? Apparently so. After helping to protect the Israelite spies in Canaan, she joined the people of God and, it seems, married into the ancestry of Jesus question who else was in the line let's look again at verses five and six salmon begot boaz by rahab boaz begot obed by ruth obed begot jesse and jesse begot david the king david the king begot solomon by her who had been the wife of uriah ruth was a virtuous woman but through no fault of her own she came from the hated moabites the product of an incestuous relationship between a drunken lot and one of his daughters. Uriah's wife Bathsheba was, of course, the woman that King David selfishly summoned while her husband Uriah was out in battle. David, too, was a sinner needing a saviour. David had many outstanding qualities, but he was no model of a family man, to be sure. So to finish the day... If God receives us despite our faults and shortcomings, how can we learn to do the same with others despite their faults and shortcomings? Wednesday, March 30 While we were yet sinners Question What do the following texts say about human nature? And what powerful evidence do we have about the truth of these sentiments? First of all, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. And Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John chapter 2 verse 25. And had no need that any one should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? As has been stated, but is worth repeating, the Bible does not paint a rosy picture of humanity or human nature. From the fall in Eden in Genesis chapter 3, to the fall of Babylon in the last days in Revelation chapter 18, the sad state of humanity is readily apparent. And though we tend to idealize, for instance, the early days of the church before the great falling away recorded in second thessalonians two three that is a mistake. See first Corinthians chapter five and verse one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man had his father's wife. We're all fallen, broken people. And that includes the lineage out of which Jesus himself arose. The Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds commentary of Matthew has Michael Wilkins saying, The genuineness and unlikeliness of this genealogy must have stunned Matthew's readers. Jesus' ancestors were humans with all the foibles yet potentials of everyday people. God worked through them to bring about his salvation. There is no pattern of righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. We find adulterers, harlots, heroes, and Gentiles. Wicked Rehoboam was the father of wicked Abijah, who was the father of good King Asa. Asa was the father of the good king Jehoshaphat, who was the father of wicked king Joram. God was working through the generations, both good and evil, to bring about his purposes. Matthew shows that God can use anyone, however marginalized or despised, to bring about his purposes. These are the very types of people Jesus came to save. End of quote. That's the point we need to remember, not just when we look at others, but when we look at ourselves as well. What Christian at some point in his or her walk doesn't get discouraged, doesn't question his or her faith, doesn't wonder whether or not he or she is truly converted. So often, too, what brings about this discouragement is indeed our fallen nature, our sins, our shortcomings. Thus, amid this despair, we can and should draw hope that God knows all these things, and it was for people just like us that Christ came into this world. And so to finish the day, what Bible promises can you cling to in moments of discouragement and spiritual despair? Thursday, March 31, the birth of David's divine son. Somewhere in the night air between Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, Jesus was born. It wasn't likely on December 25. Based on the timing of the priest Zachariah's temple service, scholars suggest that Jesus was probably born in the fall in the Northern Hemisphere, when sheep were still out in the fields, perhaps in late September or October. It's a great irony that some of the first people to seek out and worship the Jewish Messiah would be Gentiles. While most of his own people and a paranoid half-Jew King Herod thought they knew what kind of Messiah to expect, these travellers from the East had open minds and hearts. The Magi, or wise men, were respected philosophers from Persia who devoted their lives seeking for truth, wherever it may come from. No wonder, then, that they found themselves worshipping the one who was indeed the truth himself. Though the context is different, we can see here an example of the truth of words spoken centuries earlier, Jeremiah 29.13 And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Question. Read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through to 14. What contrast is seen between the attitude of these wise men and that of King Herod? Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word." for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. These pagans fall down and worship Jesus, in contrast to the king of the nation who sought to kill Jesus instead. This story should serve as a powerful reminder that church affiliation is no guarantee of being in the right relationship with God. It should also be reminded too that a a correct understanding of truth is very important. Had Herod and the priests a better understanding of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, Herod would have known that Jesus would not have been the kind of threat that he feared. He would have understood that this king of the Jews was not anyone to worry about, at least in terms of Herod guarding his own immediate political power. So to finish today... How can we protect ourselves, as Seventh-day Adventists, a people blessed with much light, from the deception that this light automatically means that we are in a right relationship with God? At the same time, how can the light help us to have a deeper walk with God because of an appreciation of His character that truth does give us? Friday, April one look at this quote from Ellen White. It comes from the Desire of Ages, page three hundred and seventeen. It is thus that every sinner may come to Christ not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It says in titus three fifteen when Satan tells you that you are a sinner and cannot hope to receive blessing from God tell him that christ came into the world to save sinners we have nothing to recommend us to god but the plea that we may urge now and ever is our utterly helpless condition that makes his redeeming power a necessity" End of quote. what a powerful idea it's our utterly helpless condition that makes christ as our redeemer a necessity This truth is no different when we first come to Jesus or if we have been walking with him all our lives. Like those in the genealogy of Jesus' human side, we are sinners in need of grace. Our obedience to the law, our overcoming sin and temptation and our growth in Christ, however much these are parts of the Christian life, are the results of salvation and never the cause. Whether the thief on the cross or a saint translated at the second coming of Jesus, we are all in an utterly helpless condition that makes his redeeming power a necessity. How crucial that we never forget this foundational truth. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, As we saw this week, Herod had grand misconceptions about prophecy that caused him to do some terrible things. Think about some of the false understandings of prophecy today. For instance, many believe that faithful Christians will be secretly and quietly taken up to heaven while family and friends are left behind to wonder why these people suddenly vanished into thin air. What are some of the potential dangers of holding such a false understanding of prophecy? Or what about the idea that the temple in Jerusalem must be rebuilt and animal sacrifices reinstated as one of the final events in earth's history? What other misconceptions about prophecy should help impress us with just how important a correct understanding of prophecy really is? And question number two. So often, in many cultures and societies, who your parents are and what class you are born into are deemed very important. This is a tradition that seems to be found all through history and is deeply ingrained in many places, even today. Why is this worldly idea so contrary to everything the gospel stands for? Also, How should the idea of being born again impact the way we look at the whole question of what class or social structure that we or others were born into? Inside story. Our mission story this week is titled The Tooth Part One. Newly married Colin and Melba Winch, who I actually know personally, took up their first mission assignment in the Solomon Islands in the Pacific as nurses in 1956. While on furlough in Australia in 1962, Colin obtained his commercial pilot's licence and, working with fellow pioneer pilot Len Barnard, flew the first Seventh-day Adventist mission planes reaching the remote areas of Papua New Guinea and the islands of the South Pacific. The following account is one of Colin's first challenges at an outpatient clinic. It was an early morning session at the outpatient clinic at Ames Memorial Hospital. Colin and Melva recently had arrived in Kukudu, and this was one of Colin's first clinic sessions. The first ten patients had only minor maladies, but this changed when Jacob, a large, well-built Solomon Islander with a mop of curly hair, came holding his jaw. Assuming he had a tooth problem, Colin seated the patient on the folding dental chair that had been donated by the United States Army. Inspection revealed an excellent mouthful of shiny white teeth, but the crown on a huge molar had broken off, creating the discomfort. Colin discovered Jacob had already sought dental treatment from another doctor who had failed in his attempt to remove the offending molar and snapped off the crown in the process. This was to be Colin's first real extraction, the only previous one being at the dental hospital in Sydney and that tooth had almost fallen out of its own volition. He knew this extraction would be a real challenge. Even more so since some of the village people would be watching the skill of this new dentist. Having prepared a mandibular block, Colin approached Jacob with the gleaming needle at the ready. Jacob knew all about that needle and withdrew his head as Colin endeavoured to inject the anaesthetic. Lucana, the clinic assistant, sensed the problem and positioned himself behind the patient. Grabbing Jacob's hair with powerful hands, he said, Shoot him, doctor! Give the injection! He won't move now! To make sure of deadening the area, Colin injected the anaesthetic into the gum beside the tooth as well. While waiting for the anaesthetic to take effect, Colin noticed the audience below the clinic windows, listening to the commentary provided by the observers at the door. The outpatients were curious to know whether the new doctor could be trusted as a dentist. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. So make sure you study next week's Sabbath School lesson to find the end of this story. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.